It was a race against time to find four young children who survived a plane crash in the Colombian Amazon. No, no se encontró nada de, de cadáver de niño. Entonces ya pensamos que sí hay vida. The discovery of the wreckage sparked a frantic search that transfixed a nation as rescuers combed through the depths of inhospitable jungle for over a month. Entre más tiempo transcurría, menos probabilidades de encontrarlos vivos. A military leader who oversaw the search and the children's great uncle sat down with the journal to provide a first-hand account of the harrowing survival story. The children's ordeal began early on May 1st, when the engine of the small plane they were traveling in cut out over virgin rainforest in southern Colombia. The Cessna 206 fell, plowed through trees, and slammed into the jungle. Two weeks after the crash, soon after indigenous volunteers located the wreckage, Colombian army commandos arrived at the scene and found three lifeless bodies. The pilot, an indigenous leader, and a young woman named Magdalena Mukutoy, the children's mother. Para nosotros fue un golpe muy tremendo en este momento como familia. The plane's manifest showed that the four siblings, two sisters ages 13 and 9, a five-year-old boy and a baby girl, had also been aboard, but they were nowhere to be found. Ahí comienza todo el misterio de cómo salieron y sobre todo cómo sobrevivieron. Colombian Armed Forces General Pedro Sanchez, who oversaw the rescue operation, said soldiers inspecting the crash scene noticed something hopeful. The tail of the plane was intact. La probabilidad de, de quedar vivo en ese accidente en el cual se le desprendió el motor cuando el piloto intentó arborizar y cayó de frente, es que entre más lejos esté de la cabina, más probabilidades de vivir tiene. No sabemos a ciencia cierta de cuándo murió la mamá. Eh, después de 15 días de encontrarla ya muerta, es difícil determinar el momento exacto por el estado de descomposición que se encontraba ella allí en la selva. Meanwhile, the four siblings found themselves lost and alone in a forbidding environment. Más de 60 pies ya no se podía observar qué había detrás de ellos, con animales peligrosos como tigres y jaguares, serpientes venenosas, plantas venenosas, pero también lloviendo 16 horas al día, con mosquitos que podían producir lesmaniasis y si no es tratada a tiempo, podrían producir la muerte. An intense search, codenamed Operation Hope, was launched, involving 11 aircraft, 113 commandos, and 92 indigenous trackers, many of whom fish and hunt in the region. Llegamos a conformar más de 350 personas, porque no solamente era nosotros como la operación militar, sino también 30 organizaciones alrededor de ella. Soon after the plane was discovered, the searchers said they found a baby bottle about three miles from where the plane went down. In the days that followed, they reported finding more clues. Scissors, the tennis shoes of a small boy, and a child's footprint in the mud. La variable más importante, más difícil de descifrar, eran los niños. ¿Por qué se estaban moviendo? ¿Por qué se movían? Eso generaba impotencia porque pasábamos de tener indicios a tener incertidumbre. La lluvia borraba inmediatamente cualquier huella, pero pasábamos muy cerca de ellos. Relatives in the country's army said that over the 40 days the children wandered the rainforest, they survived on the small supply of food they scavenged from the luggage that was on the plane, as well as nuts and wild fruit found on the forest floor. 
ya se le acabó la farillita, pues ya comenzó a comer pepa. When a group of indigenous trackers crisscrossed through the jungle on June 9th, they noticed something. Uno de los indígenas iba caminando, mirando huellas, cuando levantó la mirada, vio a la niña de 13 años con su hermanita de un año en los brazos, la otra hermanita de nueve años, totalmente delgados, desnutridos. La niña mayor dijo, tenemos hambre. Photographs provided by the Colombian Armed Forces show soldiers tending to the children. They were lifted out by helicopter and taken to the small town of San Jose del Guaviare in southern Colombia, where the country's president said they received medical attention. Relatives celebrated when news of the rescue came through. Para nosotros fue una oscuridad, algo que nosotros andamos por andar, vivimos por vivir. ¿Por qué? Porque hay algo que lo sostiene, algo que le diga siente. Pero en ese momento, al encontrar a los niños, uno se siente una alegría. No sabe, no, uno no sabe cómo hacer, pero siempre agradecer a mi Dios. The next day, the children were flown to awaiting ambulances in Bogota and transferred to a military hospital where doctors say they are surrounded by relatives and recovering. Los más valientes fueron nuestros cuatro menores. Ellos no tenían los equipos, ni la tecnología, ni la capacidad que nosotros desplegamos. Ellos solamente tenían aquello que se llama deseos de vivir. Sanchez attributes the children's survival to four factors. The desire to live, their strong immunity, indigenous knowledge, and good health. Y le agregaría una quinta. Is that not amazing, y'all? Isn't that incredible? I, I don't know if you'd seen that, but just a quick recap, recap here. Uh, this happened just in May, and those four children, ages 13 all the way down to a baby, survived the Amazon jungle with snakes, Ravenous beasts, killer mosquitoes, 16 hours a day of rain, poisonous plants. They survived 40 days in the jungle until they were discovered and found. That is truly a miracle. Is that not a miracle? It's amazing. And we're going we're gonna to kind of use this as a frame of, of a metaphor. I love that, 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 that they called this operation Operation Hope because I think we need some hope right now for this moment in which we find ourselves in. But first, I just want to greet all of our kids, whether you are at Speedway, whether you're in the South Sanctuary, our kids online, or right here in this room. Kids, if you're with us, would you say, I'm here. Come on. That's right. We love it. We love that you're here, and hopefully you grabbed a, a piece of paper and a crayon, and here's what I want you to do. We just saw a miraculous story where God intervened in a big way. Kids, I, we just want to tap into your heart. What is something that you want God to do in a big way in your life right now? Something in your school, something in your home, something with a friend, something with a family member. Where are you just hoping and praying and asking God to do something big? And would you take your crayon and take this blank sheet of paper and just start drawing it? Just be imaginative. And just, just throughout the course, you can just check me out. Not, not check me out. You can check out on whatever I'm saying. And woo, we'll clean that up. And... We'll, uh, we'll just let you draw and just summon what's in your heart for where you want to see God show up big. Now, this 
is such a beautiful picture. I love not only the, the, the children in the jungle and their bravery and their courage, but I love that an entire Colombian nation came around them. Operation Hope, over 350 people, military, medical, 30 organizations, and these indigenous trackers. And they're like, we're going all in over the course of these 40 days for these kids. That is a picture of what the church should be. Would you agree? A church that is being rescued, a church that is experiencing the rescue of God, that is actually locking arms and going into dark places and into jungles and saying, and we want to rescue those who are the underserved, the, the outcasts, the overlooked, the children, the vulnerable, the frail. And that's what I love about this big journey that we're on called Unshakable. Where we go, we stand on the unshakable ground that Christ is Lord. He sits on the throne. There's nothing at risk when all the rest of our world seems to be shaking and rattling. And so how do we wrap God's family around so many different families within our church, beyond our church, and even in our city and beyond? And so we just want to say, Westside, thank you for being a part of this journey. That's what this series is about, the battle for our kids. It's coming right out of this uh, initiative of mental wellness and seeking wholeness and peace within um, those far from God and especially within our next generation. Because, again, metaphorically speaking, does it not feel like as a society, we've actually kind of, it seems, drop kicked our next generation into the jungle with all sorts of confusing ideologies and distortions and libertine messages and the like. And it's like our kids have to kind of navigate all these mixed messages navigating through a jungle. And it reminds me of the Old Testament uh, Judges, the book of Judges that says this. Look at this with me. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. There's no plumb line. There's no sense of grounding and centering and just everyone's doing. And I would say probably everyone's doing what they think is best but it's not working. And the anxiety is up and the mental wellness issues it seems to be at an all-time all kind of epidemic level. And so we look at what's happening among our youth and I know we've been in this series for a long time but I can't help to think what Jesus thought when he looked at a crowd. Matthew chapter nine says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, like four kids having to navigate a virgin jungle by themselves. I do think that Christ's heart breaks for our next generation. I do believe that he has compassion and he's like, well, who will, who will shepherd them? And I experience, I'll just tell you, I experience some righteous anger around what's happening today within our society and our culture. And I'll tell you, it's not all righteous, this anger that I feel. It comes from a broken, twisted place in me. Beneath all the culture war stuff, if I'm honest with myself, 
And I boil it down. I go, okay, so anger is a secondary emotion. What's at the core of it? And for me, I'll just tell you, it's fear. Fear for my kids, fear for my children's children, fear what's happening in society at large. And I know this, I know the Lord doesn't want me to live in fear, doesn't want me to overflow fear to others. He wants something more for me. But if left to my own devices, here's, here's what I do. Tell me, and I'm talking to parents, but everyone, like, you can like, tell me if this is true for you. When I'm afraid, then I seek control. And when I seek control, it makes me more afraid. This is what I just call the fear control loop. Anybody relate to that? When I'm afraid, I seek control. When I seek control, does it help? Actually, oftentimes, it makes me more afraid. And I got lots of things I'm afraid of as a parent, lots of things, like um, three daughters are driving. I'm afraid of crashes. Uh, Choking. I had a bad incident as a young child, so I don't want my children to ever swallow. Um, (laughs) Curbs. Curbs. I got a thing with curbs, you know, like a foot high curbs. And I'm always telling my daughters, hey, watch out. You know, like that's a curb. They're like, dad. We see there's a curb. I go, I know, but bad things can happen. You can find your own fears. These are just mine, right? But when I'm afraid and when I seek control, then actually it makes me more afraid. I just get in this constant loop because actually this control is an illusion. It is not real. And it spurs on this anxiety in me. Now, by way of example, I want to talk about parents Something that um, is, I think, considered an essential tool for parenting in today's age. Life 360. How many of you, parents, you are Life 360 users? Okay, so Life 360 is an app where you can track your children anywhere they go, how fast they're driving. Where they are, whether they have battery power, whether they don't, whether they stop, whether they're like, we have the ability to, to track where they are at all times. My question, and I'm going to ask this by stepping out on a limb here, so I just physically, I, want, I just know that parents, I'm going to be poking the bear by asking this question. Does it help with your fear? Now, I know. I love it, by the way. I, I, I use it. Um, last night, I wanted to use like, where are they? You know, so you just get on there like, ah, oh, there they are. There they are, right? It's like, you know, it's just like, and it says like they're at home. Oh, this is me. And it just brings you, whoo, this is so good, right? Um, but there are other moments where it's like their battery's low. There's, if, if, the, if that gets any lower, you know, or it's like, well, wait a minute, they're not at school. They should be at school. Why are they not at school? Well, they, the app just hadn't updated, right? You know? Um, now, let me just, I'm just curious. So parents, raise your hand again. You, you use and like three, Life360, okay? Um, hey, kids, do you like Life360? <laughs> Any kids go, I think it's the greatest invention ever. <laughs> so we have a gap here, what we call like a generational gap. So I, I, like all technology, I would say, I think it's really useful. Here's my question. How far do we go? How helpful actually is it? Does it actually give us control or the illusion of control? Contrast this 
Go back 200 plus years to John Adams. John Adams was notified about the death of his son by horseback a month after his passing. And we now get whatever news about our children within a nanosecond. Are we better off learning about our children by swipe or by horseback? I work with, with a guy, I have permission to share this story. He was going through a divorce. He had moved out into the country. Um, and when his, one of his older sons would drive out in the country to be with him, when he would leave at night, this dad told me, he said, I'd get in my car and I would travel about the 30-minute drive and travel behind my son, about a half mile behind. He said, I did this for years until one day in the dark night, I came upon a collision and it was my son in a head-on crash. I'm really grateful to say his son survived that crash. But what this man, he was a believer, he just said to me in that moment, he said, God spoke to me, he said, his name is Marvin, he said, Marvin, you're not in control. Did you think by traveling just a few yards, 100 yards behind your son that he was going to be any better off than if you hadn't? Who's the one in control? You know, there's emerging research that says all of our helicoptering, by which I am a confessor, I am a helicoptering dad, that the emerging research is that when we seek that level of control, when we let our fears run rampant, it actually increases the anxiety in our children. And when we hover over them and we're constantly trying to protect them, they don't learn how to self-regulate, they don't know how to test limits, they don't know how to develop a thing called resiliency. All the things, in fact, the most important things they need is that. So let me just be really clear from a biblical perspective. Our primary job is not to protect our kids. Now, I know that's a big statement. It is an instinct. We are to do it. There are biblical examples by which there are parents in the Bible that do protect their kids. But when we look at the ad, ad, admonition, when we look at the commands of the Bible, nowhere does it say, and, and parents protect your kids. Because guess who the protector is? It's God. Every single time that I've seen where, where protection of children comes up, it's God saying things like he does in Isaiah, I will fight for those who fight against you and I will save your children. God is the protector. That's what Marvin learned. He goes, I can't protect. I'm not sovereign. I'm not omnipotent. But God, you are. And so for all of our protecting, and overprotecting. I just want to call us parents to just go, how's it working? Myself included, by the way. I have to say that, or my, parents, my, my children will call me a hypocrite when I get home. Right? How, how's that working? And maybe we should fire ourselves from thinking we are the lead protectors of our children and let God do it. You know, I was with a, a young parent earlier this week, and uh, he reminded me of this phenomenon, parents, where when your children are babies, and they fall down and, you know, have a boo-boo, what's the first thing those babies do? No, they don't cry. 
they look at you. And if you're going, <sighs> then they cry. Then they go, ah, and then you lose the whole night of sleep, right? It's just all, every, the, the wheels are off. Well, guess what? No matter your children's age, they still look at you. And so that begs the question, what are we looking at? The battery. Why did they stop? This is not our protector. Or do they see us with a dependency, with a reliance upon the one who does protect? And so what I want to call us to is four battle shifts, parents. Four battle shifts. Because we need to move from protection to number one to preparation. Did you notice how did those four children survive in the jungle? Indigenous knowledge, it said. They knew how to go through the luggage and grab the, the, the yucca meal with, with, within the, the suitcases. They knew which plants were poisonous and which they could draw seeds from and eat that would be nourishing. Who taught them those things? Their parents did. Their parents trained them up. Proverbs chapter 22, you might be familiar. Let's just look at it here. It says this. It says, train up a child in the way he or she should go. Even when they grow older, they will not abandon it. Train up. Doesn't say overly protect. Doesn't mean guard them, shelter them, like all those things. Is there a place for that? Of course. But train them up. And parents, I just got to ask, some of you have sent your first child off to college and do you not feel this kind of existential thin, thinness in you like, oh my gosh, what are all the things I didn't teach them and train them in? I'm sending them into the jungle, right? I feel that. Like my three girls, we're going to send them all off to college in about two-ish years all at once. And I'm like asking that question. The other day, one of my daughters said, we're just like hanging out in the kitchen eating, and she's like, you know, I feel like I'm just learning so many things right now on the fly. I'm like, on the what? She's like, yeah, just every moment, every day, it just seems like there's this new thing I'm learning. I'm like, like what? And she's like, well, like, how to get gas? I'm like, how to get I taught you, we were at the high V gas station when she's like, no, that was my sister. But when we were at Quick Trip, we did the tires, we got under the hood. Nope, that was my other sister. <laughs> we have to shift from this overprotection to preparation. And what do we need to prepare them with the most? How to have a clean room? That's nice. How to have great grades? That's great. How to win and have trophies on the shelf? At the core, here's what the research says. It's grit. It's resiliency. The biblical word would be perseverance. To be able to say to our children, Christ in you, the hope of glory. To be able to say that you can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. To be able to say, in your weakness, his power is made strong. In order to look our children in the eyes and say, walk with me, I'll show you how you can do hard things. Angela Duckworth, sociologist, has 
done a lot of research in this area, and she says, the number one predictor of all success is not intelligence, not all those things. It's grit. She even developed a grit score. Tim Elmore, who wrote a book about the Gen Z generation, he said, you know, I see this even in the military. At West Point, there is this really intense, rigorous competition called the Beast Barracks. And he said, I saw the same thing play out in the military. Here's how he summarizes it. He says this. He says, grit mattered more than intelligence, talent, leadership, ability, or physical fitness. So parents, is there a shift in us that's required from protection to preparation? And how do we need to prepare our children? And by the way, that's not an easy thing. We're all figuring it out. That's why we have a parenting class. If there's one thing from this series that we want all of us as, as, as parents to go do, it's like let's go ourselves get prepared and equipped so that from the overflow of our equipping, we can prepare and equip our children. And so I want you to take a, a, a shot of that QR code and let's gear up for battle in that regard. Number two, the, the, the second battle shift is from protection to potential. Because I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, if that 13-year-old girl in the jungle could survive the Amazon and save the rest of the children under her, certainly my 13-year-old could clean her own room. <laughs> Soft chuckle but also very real. Let me show you some words that describe the next generation. Entitled, and you just tell me if you've experienced this among the next generation, even if you're sitting right beside them. Entitled, narcissistic, self-absorbed, think they know anything and can be anything. How many of you just, it's okay, we don't mean offense if you're sitting beside a member of the next generation, but how many of you have experienced that? How many of you work and supervise and lead the next generation and you're experiencing that? Okay. Well, it's true. And those words are summations of an article about the next generation written in 1976 <laughs> by Tom Wolfe, and he described it the me decade. He's talking about boomers. How do you work with those narcissistic boomers? Those self-absorbed, entitled boomers. What are we saying here? We're saying what the scripture said. There's nothing new under the sun. We're saying that there's a developmental process that everyone goes through. And yeah, until your brain fully matures around the age of 25, actually, there is this process in your development where you are self-absorbed where you have to work through that in order to work out of that to serve the larger world. And that every generation cycles through this level. And are we believing in the potential of the next generation? Or are we disparaging them? Are we undermining them? Are we, as the scriptures say, looking down on their youthfulness? Because the Bible, the Bible deeply believes 
in the next generation. Let me look with, with, look with me here at Joel chapter two. Joel is talking about on the last day, like when everything culminates, when we know the Messiah arrives, here's what we'll see. I, God says, will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. So we, we count in this vision too. Your young men will see visions. There is this biblical picture of the redemptive potential within our next generation. And do we speak up to that or do we speak down to it? Because here's the deal. You look throughout the the biblical narrative. Jesus was born to a virgin named Mary who was probably no more than 13. Jesus befriended as his disciples 12 dudes that were maybe 19, 20, 21, they were the next generation. And one of those dudes, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and the church, in effect, began on that day, we call it the day of Pentecost, Peter, one of those young guys, got up and spoke the most impassioned plea and guess who he quoted? Joel, Joel chapter two. And I just have to ask, I have to, I have to sit in that moment and ask of myself, Do I, when I view the next generation, am I fear-based or do I speak up to their potential? And I want to say, like predominantly right here, I know our next generation is all over, online community and Speedway and everywhere here in the room, South Sanctuary, but I just want to look to, to you all right here in this moment, and I want to tell you that we're sorry. Have you felt by us as the older generation looked down upon, disparaged, undermined? Well, I want to tell you that we're sorry for that. I want to tell you that we're sorry that we have not spoken up to your potential. That we haven't called you up. That we haven't told you things like, look, like in the words to Esther for such a time as this. Like in the book of Acts where it says, in this moment, in this time, you were appointed for this season that God ordains, that there is no accident, that you're on this earth for this moment. And we call you to know who you are and whose you are. And so if you've ever felt this message of, oh no, our next generation is losing their way, I'm sorry, we wanna be a people who call you to forge a new way. And if we ever say, oh my gosh, it's a scary world out there, what we want you to hear from us is that he is on the throne. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is Lord, and we trust you under his lordship. That's what we want to say to you. Because we believe deeply in your redemptive potential, and we need you to be the leaders of our next generation. And I want to say to our children, even younger, I wanna, I wanna ask you about maybe what you've been drawing here. Or I asked you, what's the big dream that God has put in your heart? What do you wanna see God do big things? And by the, before the, 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 the day ends here today, I wanna, I wanna just say, would you share this with your parent, with your guardian, with your sibling, with whomever you came with today? Because here's what I believe, adults, that in these drawings, could be the seed of revival. Could be the seed of revival. Because here's the truth. You look throughout history, every revolution, within redemptive history, just about every revival didn't happen by 50-year-olds. Happened by our next generation. So we won't coddle you. 
We won't just give you video games and hope you're quiet. We want to call fire into your bones. And we want to rely on the promise to shift from being overly protective to the promise God has given us. When Peter, when he continues this message in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit has come upon him and he goes, look, this promise is for you. Look at this with me. Acts chapter 2, there we go, let's go to it. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, he's like, look, God's going to do more than you could ever imagine. Don't limit God. Don't put God in a box. He's going to do unfathomably more than we could ever possibly imagine. And this is going to happen for the glory of Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is the promise that we have. I was even thinking about the archetypal nature of generations, right? We talked about boomers, Gen Z. Let me show you like the long lineage here of all the different generations going back to the 1800s. Let's jump to the lineage. There we go. Perfect. There we go. Thank you. So you got the lost, the greatest, the silent, the, the boomers, the Gen Xers like me, the millennials, the Gen Z. And then we kind of ran out of the alphabet, you see. So what do we do? Oh, they, they said, well, we got to start over. But they didn't go to Gen A. They called it Gen Alpha. And I just, when I just kind of thought about this, this is just a, hopefully an encouragement. I'm like, Alpha, interesting. Because what does our Lord say? What does he say at the very end? What is his promise? He says, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. He's talking about the Greek alphabet. The very beginning and the very end. It is done. In other words, the battle is already won. This is the promise. This is what frames us. And I know, parents, it feels like battle right now. I know that you're kind of sitting there white knuckling it. I know that you have children that you feel have lost their way. But worrying doesn't help. Overprotecting doesn't help. But to believe in the potential still yet in your son and daughter. To hold fast to the promise even when it feels bleak. And to say, hey, we're all in an operation of hope. And then lastly, the last shift is to shift from protection to prayer. Not as a platitude. Not as punctuation to this whole thing. But as like the real thing. And I know that over 700 of us have grabbed prayer cards, fasting cards. It's been a beautiful thing for me and... And I know so for so many of you, and many of you are praying and you didn't do a card. That's cool. But as a people, on this operation of hope, we're called to pray. And what are we to pray for? Can we pray for specific things for our kids? Absolutely. Can we pray protection? Well, of course. But what does Jesus say we should pray for? And he actually, in the context of talking about God as Father God and us as parents, Luke chapter 11 He's like, I know, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. 
If you ask for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. Right? And you're all messed up. He says, even though you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, look at this with me. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit. Like if there's one prayer that we just kind of like, this is going to be my prayer. If, if we just get one shot, if God says, okay, when you pray, all you, all you get are like eight words. That's all you get, okay? So what would my eight words be? That's not what he says, by the way. I'm just saying, if all we have are eight words, what would they be? Our greatest prayer is not, Lord, protect our kids. Our greatest prayer is Holy Spirit come. Why? Why do we want more than anything else on the planet and even more than grit? Why do we want that for our children? Because the Holy Spirit will go with them. The Holy Spirit will indwell inside of them. The Holy Spirit will convict them of, of truth. The Holy Spirit will give them words when they need words in a moment of temptation or trial. The Holy Spirit will forge within them the very characteristics of heaven. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The Holy Spirit will give them compassion. The Holy Spirit will advocate for them. The Holy Spirit will protect them. That's why we call upon the very Spirit of God over our children. And in this series, we've been pausing all along the way to just say, let's actually pray in this battle. We began this series, J.J. led us, and it was, it was really powerful. Just, I was sitting right over there, and he called us to our knees. And I just thought, you know, I don't go to my knees very often. I don't like it because it feels weak. Well, guess what, parents? Is there any better feeling or true feeling, I should say, than the fact that we just don't feel like we measure up. We feel like we just don't have all the answers. We feel like we just are constantly getting it wrong. How many of you just go, that's, well, that's kind of what it feels like to be a, a parent right now. Yeah. So maybe we should fire ourselves from this overprotection thing and open up our palms and move to our knees to a posture of humility, weakness, and need. Beggars go to their knees. Beggars go to their knees. I can't think of a better circumstance, situation, than to beg our Father for the Holy Spirit over our children. If you feel like begging on behalf of our next generation, and if you're physically able, would you now also, wherever you are, online, speedway, South Sanctuary, in this room, would you go to your knees? Next generation, older generations, our Gen A's, our Gen Z's, our Gen Y's, our boomers, in this moment, will you join us? And I'm gonna just give you four words. And we're just gonna say over and over and over, Holy Spirit, come over, and this is where you fill in the blank. I'm gonna fill in my own blanks, you fill in yours, and just pray. We'll all be praying on top of each other, and I think God can make sense of it all, don't you? And you can do it quietly, you can do it um, at the top of your lungs. 
but let's just pray, Holy Spirit, come over every single room in my home. Holy Spirit, come. How will you fill in the blanks? Over Mia, Brianna, Hadley. Holy Spirit, come into every relationship. Holy Spirit, come into every quiet moment. Holy Spirit, come. Bring healing. Holy Spirit, come. Bring hope. Holy Spirit, come. Over every classroom, over every car, Holy Spirit, come into every friendship. Holy Spirit, come. 